Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, hello and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Today we have a a very interesting topic picking up on a theme that we had begun actually last week. We know, of course, in the month of June, the church... Uh, dedicates this month to devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we, uh, Francis and I, have discovered that the Carmelite uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart is unique in its own way. And today we're going to talk about uh, specifically St. Therese of Lisieux's devotion to the Sacred Heart and and, and slightly, um, I think, a, a slightly different twist on the traditional devotion to the heart. She, of course, had a great uh, devotion to our Lord, uh, but she saw in the Sacred Heart uh, something deeper and uh, perhaps uh, more Carmelite than uh, some of the other manifestations of that devotion. But before we begin that, uh, let me begin by uh, saying hello again to my co-host, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you? Oh, I am doing really well. And, you know, I'm just constantly inspired by God's uh, attention to detail. And what I mean is today I was at the pool. My, my kids were in... Um, swim practice and I saw this little girl go by with this t-shirt on that she'd got from camp and on it said it as I, and I was going over notes for tonight's program and on the back of her t-shirt is this little quote if we offer our hearts pure and noble god will save the whole world and i'm like oh that quote really nailed it didn't it so i had to bring that to your attention tonight now wait a minute francis you said something that surprised me so you go over notes before the program <laughs> i'm not as bright as you do yeah, mark right. you've got that photographic memory you can just like read it off your brain me i have to study <laughs> what you're saying is you're better prepared than i am <laughs> Well, let's begin beyond the laughter. Let's begin uh, with prayer, as we always do, turning ourselves to the heart of our Lord and Savior and ask for his intercession uh, that we might communicate uh, something that is uh, of significance and, and helps advance all of us in our spiritual journey. Francis, would you lead us in prayer? Right. This is a morning prayer by St. Therese, and, and I want to focus on the beats of the heart in this prayer um, because that's what we were uh, beginning with last week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Oh my God, I offer thee all my actions of this day for the intentions and for the glory of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I desire to sanctify every beat of my heart, my every thought, my simplest works, by uniting them to its infinite merits. And I wish to make reparation for my sins by casting them into the furnace of its merciful love. O my God, I ask of thee for myself and for those whom I hold dear the grace to fulfill perfectly thy holy will, to accept for love of thee the joys and sorrows of this passing life, so that we may one day be united together in heaven for all eternity. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very key phrase in there, the furnace of merciful love. Yes. And we're going to focus on that in our conversation, Francis, I know, this evening. Well, at the risk of um, uh, appearing uh, to create a pun here, Francis, I do think that the discussion that we have for today really does get to the heart of the matter. Yes. It is the central theme, I think, of our transformation in Christ. And 
we know, as you've said many times on this program, we don't engage in the spiritual journey. We don't advance in the interior life simply for ourselves, right? We are called to a larger uh, mission, if you will. All of us are as part of our uh, baptism. We're called to a larger mission for the church, certainly one of evangelization, uh, but also one of uh, reaching out and defending our faith. And we just heard Father Young before the program speak about the need for uh, us as Catholic, us as Christians, uh, to step out in uh, faith for what the Church has defined over these two weeks as the fortnight for freedom. And this is prayer in defense of the freedoms that we have for so many years enjoyed in this country and which are quite frankly at great risk right now Um, and examples of this are found actually in a letter by cardinal timothy dolan uh the archbishop of the cardinal rather uh and bishop of new york but um he lays out uh, briefly the history of the um, catholic experience if you will the christian experience in this country uh and all of the um the um, freedoms that we've enjoyed but then unfortunately has to point out that those uh, freedoms are under great threat and by the way cardinal dolan is in a unique position to be able to offer this insight his uh, graduate um, study is actually in the history of the american church the catholic american church in this country so he's very well versed in the both the history and the details around uh, what he reflects on in this letter. And while this is directed primarily, I think, for the United States, um, we ask all of our brothers and sisters throughout the world to join us in prayer because you know prayer changes things. So we need your prayers with us during this time. What are the dates for this period that we're talking about? It's like June 21st through... Yeah, it's a two-week period beginning this past weekend for two weeks, and the church is called to do a number of things. We're called, for example, to pray the rosary every day. Well, certainly for those in Carmel, that shouldn't be a great challenge. It's something Mm -hmm. we would be and should be doing each day anyway. We're called to um, uh, go to adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. We're called to fast. We're called to um, communal prayer. Very important that we come together as groups to pray. There are a number of things that we can do. We can offer our sacrifices, the suffering that inevitably we'll all experience over these two weeks. Fasting and sufferings. Yeah, in in so many ways. And then to offer those to the church. I don't want to read uh, Cardinal Dolan's letter, but I do want to focus on what he sees as the greatest threats. And again, this is from uh, the Cardinal Archbishop of New York, so someone uh, who certainly has some insight. And as I said, from his own academic experience, he has great insight on this. He mentions uh, specifically these threats, and, and I don't think we should shy away from these threats. I think we have to speak the truth, uh, and those are the HHS mandate, which presumes to intrude upon the very definition of faith and ministry and could cause believers to violate their consciences. Of course, this is the mandate regarding contraception impending Supreme Court rulings that could redefine marriage, which will present a host of difficulties to the institutions and people who stand on their faith-based understanding of authentic marriage as between one man and one woman. Uh, Additional threats include proposed legislation at the national and state levels that would expand abortion rights, legalize assisted suicide, restrict immigration from full participation in society, and limit the ability of church agencies to provide humanitarian services. Finally, government intrusion into the rights and the duties of parents regarding their own children, uh, overt uh, 
uh, persecution of believers, uh, as you said, Francis, is occurring not only in this country, but in many countries. These are things worthy of our prayers. Right. And, you know, it's all a sense of being enslaved, enslaved by sin. And we all need freedom of heart. That pure and noble heart is a free heart. And a free heart is one who stands in the truth and the truth being God. You know, I'm I'm reminded of a phrase uh, I heard one time in a homily from a priest who I have a great deal of respect for, um, who said, in fact, uh, we get the church that we deserve. And right now, our church is under great threat in this country. We shouldn't, as I said, we shouldn't be bashful. We shouldn't shy away from that. That's simply reality. Uh, the question is, what are we going to do about it? We don't want to take to the streets and raise banners or certainly cause violence. That's not a Christian reaction. What we know we must do is turn to our Lord in prayer. That's the most powerful weapon that we have at our disposal, and that's the one that we should be taking advantage of every day, uh, uh, certainly throughout the course of the year. But the church has called us in these two weeks in a special way uh, to pray for uh, our religious freedoms to be retained in this yeah. country. And they may raise some banners, okay? <laughs> they may have some posters. It's just that we've got to back that up with the heart of Jesus, with, which is with love. Right. And, of course, violence is not a part of that. It, it right. is all love. And, you know, that just really keys in on to today. Today is the the nativity of St. John the Baptist, who we know prepared the way of the Lord. I keep thinking of Godspell in that song, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And, you know, I, I think of St. John the Baptist. He came in the spirit of Elijah. And, in fact, from John five thirty five, uh, Jesus is saying, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And just as St. John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp, so is our little flower, St. Therese, one who is also preparing the way, still preparing the way for us to love God and know deeply his compassionate fatherly love to us. You know what's so powerful about St. Therese, and we've talked about this as we did a series on her, is her missionary spirit, right? Yes. At her heart, Therese was a missionary. She wanted to be a missionary. And of course, we've gone through, we don't need to reiterate, but we've gone through the reality of the fact that she is now recognized as perhaps the greatest missionary saint that we have. Yes. Her mission continues, right? Uh, she didn't have to physically go to Southeast Asia, which is where she wanted to go when she uh, was um, was alive, uh, in order to do her missionary work. She's able to do it uh, even from uh, uh, her little uh, Carmel in France and today, of course, from uh, her heaven. great glory <laughs> in heaven. Yes, right? thank you. <laughs> well, I, I actually wanted to begin the week start uh, sharing some of the words of the current Holy Father from an address he made recently in Rome. Yeah, and how, how isn't this wonderful and coincidental, um, God's incidental, that <laughs> he's talking about the heart? <laughs> yeah, he, he was not speaking specifically about the Sacred Heart, but I think in the context of uh, the devotion to the Sacred Heart for this month, he was addressing the desires of the human heart. And I said a moment ago, this is really a conversation conversation, Francis, that gets to the heart of the matter. What is transformation in Jesus Christ all about? What does it look like? How do I engage in that? Uh, What does it lead to? These are the questions that I think are are presented both in um, the reflection on St. Therese uh, that we have to share this evening and in the poetry that we have to uh, uh, share from her. But our Holy Father had some very interesting things to say about the human heart in um, Uh, This address giving a homily on the feast of St. Aloysius Gonzaga. 
He says, so as the gospel assures us, the treasures that has value, the treasure that has value in God's sight, is that which is in this life, is not in this life, but is accumulated in heaven. Jesus, Pope Francis says, goes even further. He joins the treasure to the heart. He creates a relationship between the two terms. This, he adds, is because we have a restless heart. We know this, which the Lord made this way to seek him out. So we're being told, Francis, by our Holy Father, that the human experience is one of restlessness. Right. I think we can all, you know, sort of uh, uh, connect with that idea. That yeah, we've got to have something to stimulate us, right? Constantly, right? We're looking for that, that treasure. We're looking for that um, fulfillment of our experience. The Lord has made us restless to seek him to find him, to grow in him. But if the treasure is a treasure that is not close to the Lord, that is not from the Lord, our heart becomes restless for things that simply don't work for these treasures. There's a great quote, by the way, in uh, the Brother Lawrence book about the end of things. You know, if we look at the end of any of our individual pursuits, where do they ultimately lead? We know that the only thing that leads to complete fulfillment is that pursuit of our Lord and the transformation of our heart. So many people, the Holy Father goes on to say, even we ourselves are restless to have this, to arrive at this in the end. Our heart is tired. It is never filled. It gets tired. It becomes sluggish. It becomes a heart without love. The weariness of the heart, he says, let's think about that. What do I have? A tired heart that only wants to settle itself. Three, four things, a good bank account, this, that, or the other thing, this restlessness of the heart always has to be cured. This is the human experience. This is, this is I, I would dare say it's probably the uh, history of the human experience, but certainly it's modern society, isn't it? Yes, and you know, a sense of that is when you think about some of the billionaires of the world and how they have died in, in such sadness. They have all this wealth and they're not happy and because they, they have yet to learn, you know, the real true searching is for Jesus. Any uh, degree uh, of um, uh, anxiety, of fear, of um, um, unhappiness in our life, ultimately, the the only solution to that is a deepening relationship of our Lord and Savior. And I know we say these words every week, Francis, and I suspect and I fear at times they may fall on deaf ears because so many have heard this so so often. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a way, there is a path, there is a journey that one has to begin. And the journey is not to another country. It's not even down the street. It's an interior journey to our own heart, the center of our own heart, where we will find the Lord. And then we have to grow in that relationship. Yeah, so that the the heart of the Lord grows in our heart. The Holy Father says exactly that. He says, the heart that loves makes the body luminous. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. A wicked heart, he says, makes it dark. Our ability to judge things, this is very important. The Pope says, depends on this contrast between light and darkness. Now, I'll add that light and darkness that's within us. And there's light and darkness in all of us, as is shown also by the fact that from a heart of stone attached to worldly treasures to selfish treasures can also become a, a, a treasure of hatred. Right. right. So this is what we work on. This is what we grow. If, <clears throat> if our journey in the Lord is only hope and wishing and, and expecting something in the afterlife, what a sad life that would be. Right. In Carmel, we know the journey to the center of our heart, where we will find Christ, is a journey that begins now and can reach a high degree of fulfillment now. Now, we don't um, of course, aspire to beatitude here. We won't. We won't uh, um, be raised to that level until uh, we do transition. But we can reach a deep and abiding peacefulness and joy 
in the center of the sacred heart. And St. Therese had a lot to say about that uh, and about that journey. And And you, you know, the happiest people are the ones who feel loved and love others, who have lots of good friends. I mean... That's what is so um, amazing. Love is available for all of us to give and to receive. And so uh, as we look to the divine heart of Jesus, um, we're having this great opportunity to be inflamed and purified and enriched. And we will have this treasure. We just have to have our focus in the right place, which yes. is on the on God. <laughs> well. And Therese showed us, I think, the path in in that regard. I'm um, citing now from a document, uh, 2004, by Peter Hans Kolvenbach, a Jesuit priest, the director general, in fact, of the Apostleship of Prayer. And he's writing about the the, um, history of St. Therese, which many of our listeners may not be familiar with, that she was, from a very early age, age 13, I think, a member of the Apostleship of Prayer, an association born of the missionary desires um, and the work of St. Francis Xavier, also a great missionary. Uh, And we remember, of course, uh, as I said earlier, St. Therese's first love was for missionary work. Um, And... That was the great desire of her heart. And she developed through this apostleship of prayer a devotion to the heart of Jesus and, by consequence, a devotion to the sacred heart. But her perspective on it, Francis, was a little different um, than the sort of traditional view of the sacred heart as the heart pierced with thorns, as the suffering heart, as a heart that we seek in reparation for sin. Her approach was different. Yes, because, you know, in in her period of time, you know, Jansenist was a a big um, heresy going on, Mm -hmm. which was looking at God as a very punishing Judgeful, yeah. Yes, judgmental and, and harsh and requiring us to earn our way to heaven and she really busts that theory um, by focusing on the love which is, is so important and uh, so I, I really like how she is turning this around and, and it's like well how did we get how did we miss that but you know th- there's a sense of growing uh, the whole church growing and you know we have to understand that sin does cost and at the same time if we focused on, on loving then we wouldn't be going to the sin. (laughs) She says here specifically, I do not look on the sacred heart as others do, surrounded by thorns, a large cross at the center, according uh, to a a conversation she had with her sister. She says, I contemplate him face to face. This echoes back to our series on the holy face, Francis, which she had also a great devotion to. Yes, he wants to go to that heart to heart conversation until one day she can see him face to face. She goes directly to this, to this essential element. She says, the loving person of Jesus, his deep sentiments, the love that fills his heart. That's what she's after. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to say, somebody said to me after our program last week, because I kept using the phrase, get into the rhythm of Christ's heart, right? Yes. Try to hear the beat of his heart and get into that same rhythm. Yes. And they said, what did you mean? That sounded interesting, Mark, <laughs> but what did you mean? And I had to give it some thought. I had actually uh, had some ideas from some of the research we had done last week, and I thought, no, I think we have to clarify that. And I think the Holy Father did. He said, in essence, the things that drew Christ's heart should begin to draw our heart, right? We should respond favorably to those things. What? Compassion, patience, joy, long-suffering. Yes, that's a reality. Serving. Um, but, but doing so in love. What should repel us? 
darkness. We should have a natural aversion to the things that would offend the Lord. Television programs, um, music, uh, conversations from ourselves or listening to them from others. These should become not things that we have to think about, not things that I have to question and judge. Should I be here now or should I not? If we're in that rhythm with the Lord's heart, we begin to develop natural reactions to these things, spiritual reactions. And of course, this also means that we suffer more because the heart that is compassionate also hurts more because they see the pain of those around them. So it it takes you deeper, but it also helps you to see the pinnacle, the mountaintop, you know, you see the glory of the Lord. You, you, your, your vision is purified, and boy, do we all need this. And as I think of this fortnight to freedom, um, you know how much that applies to that whole thing as well. You know, he, um, Father Kovenbach says something else in here. I think is very important, and that is devotion to the heart of Jesus. Now, we talk about devotion to the heart of Jesus. We talk about all kinds of um, practices around devotion to the heart of Jesus. But he says devotion to the heart of Jesus is about nothing more than making us more like Jesus. That's the objective. That's the central theme, if you will, uh, certainly of Therese's approach to this. Again, um, Therese didn't look at the suffering element of the devotion to the Sacred Heart as uh, an end in itself. She right. accepted suffering. We know she right. had great suffering. And in she her did life. reparation, but her focus wasn't on that. It right. was on the love. She was drawn first by the experience of love that she she uh, saw in the Sacred Heart. And then the, the suffering, if you will, which inevitably it does, entered into her life as it does each of us. But she embraced it. She didn't go looking for the suffering, but when it came, she had been strengthened by getting into that rhythm with the heart of Jesus, and she began to embrace it. She she knew the heart of Jesus. She understood the depth of love. And by the way, I want to point out, I think this is a depth for our listeners that no one can come to by virtue of their reading. No one can come to by virtue of their listening to homilies. These are great uh, benefits to us. But all the great saints tell us, this is not an experience that one comes by Intellectually, This is not uh, a, a relationship that is developed by consequence of a conversation exclusively, except for that conversation with the Lord. And what is that? It's prayer. Prayer, yes. We have to enter into and try to understand the heart of a person, a human, human nature, who could go through the suffering that Christ went through and yet could continue uh, to express love and, and compassion and patience throughout his entire life. How do we get to that state? That's what the devotion to the Sacred Heart is all about. Yes, and in that love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, she also understands more fully the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father in the Holy Spirit. So it's a very Trinitarian uh, trusting and surrender and loving God as he loves us and loving others in God. So, you know, I, I think of that scripture verse of put on the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to put, put on the heart put of Christ. Put on the heart of Christ. Put Very in good. the heart of Christ. You know, uh, live 
with him, through him, in him, with his love. And I think that kind of echoes back St. Therese's inestimable coin. You know, we talked about the sacred, uh, the holy face right. as that offering of that coin. Well, you know, how can you detach this face from this heart and this heart from the Eucharist? It all is together. Yeah. I, I want to pick up on the theme of transformation in Christ when we come back. And then I'd like us to talk a little bit about Therese's poetry. Uh, you've picked out a wonderful poem, a poem to the Sacred Heart. And we'll go through, not line by line, but pick out a, a couple of the key verses uh, and try to get a sense of what Therese is communicating to us there. A reminder, you're listening to uh, Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be back in just a few moments. Yeah. 
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. Now, Francis and I are picking up on the program that we began last week on the unique aspects of the Carmelite devotion to the Sacred Heart. And I want to go back to the theme that we finished just before the break, and that is this idea of transformation in Christ. And I said that we develop uh, a devotion to the Sacred Heart in, in a number of ways. And there's an interesting analogy, I think, Francis, that describes um, sort of this uh, uh, almost unseen transformation in Christ that we can experience. And I use the analogy of athletes. You know, you can look at two uh, athletes, male or female, doesn't matter, <clears throat> and, and they look like they're tall and thin and lanky and, and uh, you know, maybe they've got a ruddy complexion and you think, I bet those are both good athletes. You know, I bet they could run well, for example, and maybe they can uh, run a 10-mile race or a marathon well. But you have no idea until they actually begin the race as, as it so happens maybe one of them is well trained and the other one is um, a couch potato you know they just happen to have a a, a fast metabolism or whatever and or so like, they're thin or like i've seen in swimming one will be you know all bulky and built up and one will be lean but mean <laughs> as yeah. they say in swim yeah. and the leaner one would win the race so but, but it doesn't reveal the the exterior doesn't reveal what is true about the interior, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And this is the same for us in the spiritual life. We might look at two people, they might both be churchgoers, they may be uh, devoted to uh, a series of practices, they may be consistent um, you know, uh, frequenters of the sacraments and so forth, but we never know the interior of a person's heart. We don't know what's true about that person's heart. And, and the analogy then is to uh, the sacred heart of Jesus, we certainly know what is the interior of our Lord's heart, not just because of what we read, not just because of our experience of him in prayer, but because in Scripture we have from Luke nine twenty eight through 32, uh, the transformation of our Lord, which reveals his interior glory. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as the flash of lightning. Two men, <clears throat> Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. So we see the interior reality of our Lord. He reveals his glory um, in a special way to the apostles, of course, to strengthen them at that time uh, before his crucifixion. Uh, of course, during the crucifixion, that glory is quite uh, uh, hidden, it's masked. Right. And the same is true for the human person in our experience. And I will even go so far as to say, because our Carmelite school teaches us this, that we don't even know our own interior. We may be struggling in our relationship with the Lord. We may be having a very difficult time with prayer. We might feel like we're in the desert in that dry space. But it may well be that the Lord is doing such a great work in us um, that we're simply unaware of it. This is that dark night experience. Or blinded by God's great light. Exactly. And so um, in devotion to the Sacred Heart, as we try to get into the rhythm of our Lord's heart, we have to be careful not to live on the surface. That's the point here. Not to live on the surface. Therese tells us this. Go to the deep interior. And even 
if our feelings, if our emotions, if our reactions sometimes uh, would seem to belie uh, a devotion to the Sacred Heart, a transformation that we may be, in fact, participating in. Even if our um, uh, reaction to situations may belie that, we shouldn't presume that we are not on that course. We shouldn't presume that we are not, uh, in fact, being transformed by the Lord. What are the real keys we ought to look for in our devotion to the Sacred Heart that we're making progress? That we continue to go back to prayer, even when it's terribly, terribly hard. That we genuinely want to do the Lord's will. That we genuinely feel upset when we make a mistake and when we have a, a failure or a setback. It doesn't mean that we're off course. It doesn't mean that we've uh, in some way, um, you know, sort of failed the Lord or stepped back. We can't rely on the external uh, experience, or uh, certainly we should never judge another person uh, based on what we see on the external. The interior is what the Lord looks at. That's what reveals this devotion to the Sacred Heart. And, you know, just as um, these people in France during Therese's day, they were, you know, really into uh, atonement and offering themselves of victims of, of divine justice. Here, Therese is focusing on the love and she offers herself as a victim of his merciful love and I just want to go through this quote where she talks about this new experience of the heart of God and and how you know now she really is sensitive to his love being rejected and this is arousing her own compassion and inviting her to be a channel of God's infinite love to all around her so this is the quote. She says, I was thinking about the souls who offer themselves as victims of God's justice in order to turn away the punishments reserved to sinners, drawing them upon themselves, which, by the way, is part of that apostleship of prayer mm-hmm. and also praying for the Pope's intentions. And then she goes on. This offering seemed great and very generous to me, but I was far from feeling attracted to making it. From the depths of my heart, I cried out, Oh my God, will your justice alone find souls willing to emulate themselves as victims? Does not your merciful love need them too? On every side, this love is unknown, rejected. Oh my God, is your disdained love going to remain closed up within your heart? It seems to me that if you were to find souls offering themselves as victims of Holocaust to your love, you would consume them rapidly. It seems to me, too, that you would be happy not to hold back the waves of infinite tenderness within you. And indeed, she does make this offer to God in her oblation to merciful God, to the merciful God. And he does take her up on that offer. You know, the author goes on to say, Therese, again, what we said before, Francis, Therese does not linger over this symbol of Christ's heart wounded by a lance, which was very popular in her day. You made that case earlier, the the Jansenist uh, perspective of a judging God and and one to whom we needed to make reparation and that all of our suffering. And we we accept this, by the way. We accept that our suffering is a form of reparation. But Therese is... is, uh, uh, the author, uh, Father uh, Kolvenbach, said earlier, takes this to a new level. Uh, uh, and the Holy Father said in his uh, letter, his homily on uh, Aloysius Gonzaga, 
that Jesus takes this to a new level and says, no, elevate beyond that. This is not about balancing the scales. This is about, as uh, our uh, own uh, St. Teresa of Avila would say, casting ourselves into that flame, right? In a loving way, we dive in. Uh, Elizabeth has a great uh, poem about this as well. That would be Elizabeth of Trinity. Yes, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she talks about diving into that flame, you know, wanting to abandon ourselves. We don't abandon ourselves to justice, typically, right? We, we, uh, I'm not suggesting we go begrudgingly, but uh, we march. It's, it's almost a sort of martial um, um, analogy, and, and uh, you know, with strength, we, we take on our burden. And Therese is past all that. She says, no, no, it's just about abandoning ourselves to love. And how could God not accept the one who would abandon themselves to his merciful love? Not his merciful justice, but his merciful love. Yes, and you know, she she writes a wonderful poem on this topic, um, and it's called To the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But before um, we get to that poem, I just want to bring out a couple other noteworthy connections with Therese and the Sacred Heart. Um, you know, her family's spiritual director, uh, Father Pichon, he was called an apostle of the Sacred Heart, and Therese and their family were members of this apostleship of prayer, and we started out with the um, program tonight talking about that. And they found the certificate where her name is actually signed on it. That's why they're so excited about it. And then Therese's sister Marie took of the Sacred Heart as part of her religious name. And then we know from reading Story of the Soul about Saint Therese, her first communion experience about this kiss of of Christ and this deep love, and then also that there was that a holy card that fell out of the missal that that showed the blood of Jesus dripping from his hands, and and her her heart is now taken aback, thinking, well, who's going to catch this blood? And that was very pivotal. And then, of course, the Christmas conversion happens after Midnight Mass. So we have two times here, you know, right after Mass, um, you know, just after having received the Eucharist. Here, um, you know, Therese has this great healing. Um, And then in the Carmelite Monastery that Therese entered, it was dedicated to the Sacred Heart, and it has one of the neatest statues of the child Jesus. It's the one with the pink gown pointing to his Sacred Heart. It's, it's very beautiful, and it was like right there in the entryway. And then we also know when she took that pilgrimage to Rome on the Jubilee of Pope Leo Thirteenth, um, before she left Paris, it was there um, in the crypt of the unfinished Basilica of the Sacred Heart, um, in Paris, that she was consecrated to the Sacred Heart. And then later, she sends her gold bracelet to be melted down to make a monstrance um, for this basilica. And, uh, you know, it's a sense of her standing watch. And then, of course, we know that famous um, holy card of, of the divine prisoner. Jesus is the divine prisoner in the tabernacle and how she connects the Eucharist and the Sacred Heart and the Tabernacle all together and how important it is for us, you know, to um, look at Jesus, to love him and to receive her from him, this love. And, you know, when she was a sacristan, when once she joined Carmel, 
she actually painted a big fresco that was behind a tabernacle. And I know when you, if you ever go online, you can see a picture of it online. So, I mean, there's some other connections. Um, yeah, at 15, of course, great insight on the part of uh, Therese at very early uh, stages of her life. At 15, she called Jesus, echoing our comments earlier about getting into the rhythm. She said, him whose heart beats in unison with my own. Isn't that a great analogy? And at 17, she wrote to her sister, Celine, and she used these words pray to the sacred heart you know that i myself do not see the sacred heart as everybody else i think that the heart of my spouse is mine alone just as mine is his alone and i speak to him then in the solitude of this delightful heart to heart while waiting to contemplate him one day face to face isn't it interesting how she has such a, 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 an intimacy with our lord and i wonder in our own prayer life certainly uh, uh, in mine, I can speak to uh, this idea of the intimacy of one-to-one. Christ is mine alone. He's my spouse alone. That's a that's a very mature, I think, spiritual uh, insight from Therese, to, especially at age 17, to realize this relationship that the Lord wants to enter into with us is a one-to-one. Do we think of it that way when we're in prayer? Or do we think we're one among many other voices? In that moment, we're one-to-one with the Lord. He is our spouse in that moment. And we need to engage him in that intimate conversation in just that way. And of course, it was from this Eucharistic heart of Jesus, her spouse, that the little flower collected the graces and mercies of his love to shower as roses upon the world. And this world that is so cold in love, and and so in need of love. So, um, you know, this kind of goes right to the poem where um, we we have actually a book um, that the ICS Publications puts out. It's the Institute of Carmelite Studies, um, and we abbreviate it, ICS Publications. It's called The Poetry of St. Therese of Lisieux, and it's translated by Father Donald Kinney, um, an OCD friar. And the poem that we're talking about is found in this book. You can also see it online, but it's a different translation, so it's a little little different. Uh, but it's called To the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And, you know, she starts out, you know, not with focusing on the passion or with the lance in the heart. She starts out with thinking of Mary Magdalene. What do you think about that, Mark? I think it's a good approach. I mean, we understand the, the relationship that uh, Mary Magdalene had with our Lord, the deep uh, uh, love. And again, she went right to love, right? She went right to that experience uh, of, of an intimacy with the Lord. She got past the legalisms and the, you know, the debate of the Pharisees and the the um, questioning of those who wanted um, a healing from the Lord or some blessing from the Lord. She goes past all that just to become um, really the, the, the one who loves the Lord and expresses that love in a very uh, open way. Yeah, and here she says, showing her at first his blessed face soon just one word sprang from his heart whispering the sweet name of mary it just kind of reminds me of how you know jesus calls us by name and of course when mary magdalene was called mary you know then is is she recognizes the lord and and until then you know he was hidden from her and she's looking and looking and nothing will satisfy until she sees the lord so seeking his face and then the poem goes on um, and and she talks about nature. Um, she says, Bright nature, if I do not see God, you are nothing to me but a vast 
tomb. So I'm, I'm thinking of the dark night of the soul here. You know how, uh, you know, hiddenness, darkness, concealment. Sometimes we don't understand what's going in there, the mystery of, of God. Well, and, and it echoes back to the Holy Father's words. If we're seeking that treasure in the world, and, and I don't mean just, uh, though I certainly agree with your observation about those who seek it in wealth, or we seek it in comfort, or we seek it in consolation. Isn't it interesting, the Holy Father, by the way, <clears throat> had this comment to the bishops and, and uh, uh, cardinals recently, hey, you're not to become princes, yes. right? You're not a prince of the world. You shouldn't be seeking consolation. You should be seeking um, those opportunities, frankly, to manifest your ministry. But uh, Therese is in some way saying the same thing to us. Bright nature, if I do not see God, you are nothing to me but a vast tomb. There's nothing in the world that will fulfill the desire, the deepest desire of the human heart. We look for those things, and, and we should look on uh, all of us, I guess, Francis. We certainly have struggled with it. We should look on ourselves well, almost with a sense of pity, right? We w- run around looking, as the great country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> but we're trying to fulfill this deep desire. I don't think we give sufficient credit, Therese certainly does, to the depth of the desire that is hidden in the human heart. We try to fill it with trinkets. In all yes. fairness, we try to fill it with those things that the Scripture tells us will never fulfill the desire. Why? Is that because the things of the world aren't great? No, they're wonderful, they're terrific in many ways, the beauty of creation and so forth. But the depth of the desire centered in the human heart goes well beyond what any of those things can fulfill. And what did the Holy Father say to us? That Christ created a seeking heart in us, not so that we could turn it to all these trinkets, but so that it would go for the only thing that would fulfill it. We minimize the depth of the desire that is hidden in the center of the human heart. It's not that we overplay the the fulfillment that might be achieved through any of the things of the world. It's that we minimize the depth of desire hidden in the human heart. It's only going to be fulfilled by that most perfect gift, that hidden treasure, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that leads into the fourth stanza, very beautiful, because Therese says in this poem, she says, I need a heart burning with tenderness who will be my support forever, who loves everything in me, even my weakness. Oh, because, you know, a lot of people get stuck on thinking uh, they'll only be loved if they're worthy. You know, oh, we're not worthy. We're not. We're imperfect. But God calls us to him and through jesus we are perfected so she's wanting um someone who loves her even in weakness and who never leaves day or night and of course she says there's no creature i could find no creature who could always love me and never die i must have a god who takes on my nature and becomes my brother and is able to suffer yeah very important line right i must have a god who takes on my nature and becomes my brother and is able to suffer why because christ then has the human experience. He certainly knows the depth of the human heart. He knows the experience. And we can relate to him in that way. It isn't so much that um, you know, we have to struggle to find that rhythm of Christ's heart. We simply have to go back into the interior of our own heart. We're getting back into the Carmelite aspect here, Francis, of interior prayer, living the interior life. And, you know, so many people say, yeah, but I can't do that uh, 24 hours a day. And my argument is, no, you can. That's what we're called to. We're called to live in that interior dwelling mm-hmm. 24 hours a day. Now, let's be fair. Modern society, the the 
the chores and responsibilities of our daily life do pull us out of it, but they don't have to. They shouldn't. We should be able to live in that interior throughout the course of the day. That's the work. That's the the entry into that devotion to the Sacred Heart that we have to work on. And this is how Therese says she does that. She says, oh my God, I can live by your grace. I can rest on your Sacred Heart. So it's again, it's, it's her. She knows she's weak. She knows she's little. We all are. And it's by God's strength, by God's grace, by resting on his sacred heart, like, you know, St. John, the apostle did. And so, it, and then it goes on. She says, O heart of Jesus, treasure of tenderness, you yourself are my happiness, my only hope. And she says, it's in your ever infinite goodness that I want to lose myself. And so then here it is in the seven stanzas. I have to read this because this is so beautiful. Ah, I know well all our righteousness is worthless in your sight. To give value to my sacrifices, I want to cast them into your divine heart. So in other words, there's nothing that we can do that's going to earn God's love or God doesn't need anything that we do. He just wants our love, our hearts, our will. And so she's going to cast them into her to his divine heart. And that's something that we are all capable of, right? The great works, the great, as you said, we're, none of us is worthy. And, and sometimes we can come become bogged down by that um, um Oh, that theology that says, you know, the merciful heart, I've got to make reparation, so forth, which she, she rebelled against to some extent and said, no, I want to enter into your heart and I want my sacrifices, small as they may be, to simply be love. And she goes on, this, we're, we're going in and out here very beautifully. She goes on, you did not find your angels without blemish. In the midst of lightning, you gave your law. I hide myself in your sacred heart, Jesus. I do not fear. My virtue is you. So, I mean, she really talks about, well, what we need to do is offer Jesus because Jesus is that high priest. He is that lover of us all. And he is the perfect offering to the Father. I'm not going to let you off without reading that last verse. That's really, uh, uh, I think, the heart of the poem. So read for us this eighth verse. This is the eighth and the final stanza. To be able to gaze on your glory, I know we have to pass through fire. So I, for my purgatory, choose your burning love, O heart of my God. On leaving this life, my exiled soul would like to make an act of pure love, which reminds me of St. John the Cross, and then flying away to heaven, its homeland, enter straight away into your heart. So the question is... For our listening audience, for their homework assignment, I guess, Francis. Last week we <laughs> our gave our holy homework. challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. Last week, I think we gave a homework assignment of go through, begin to go through Scripture and pull out all the references to heart yes. and meditate on those. Um, Saint Therese has given us a wonderful, um, uh, challenging, I think, uh, insight here. She says, "Would like to make." Uh, an act of pure love. What is an act of pure love? That's a question worth contemplating in prayer. What is an act of pure love? Can we see ourselves in total giving of patience, of compassion, um, uh, of sympathy, uh, of affection, uh, although not the emotional affection, right? It's a spiritual um, experience. Can we see ourselves totally given over, abandoned to Christ's sacred heart? 
that's a, a, a question I think worthy of our consideration and contemplative prayer. And I think, yes, this contemplative prayer can be that pure love, because that one drop of pure love is worth more than all these mighty works. St. John of the Cross. We can talk about it, we can reflect on it, we can read about it. At the end of the day, one must enter into a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One must seek that heart within ourselves, not outside. He's within. We only have to seek him within. And then we seek to get into the rhythm, and we're desirous of union with our Lord. Yes. With all that, why don't you lead us out in prayer? Yes, we have a final prayer, which also happens to be a poem that St. Therese the Little Flower wrote, and it's called, How I Want to Love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Divine Jesus, Listen to my prayer. By my love, I want to make you rejoice. You know well, I want to please you alone. Deign to grant my most ardent desire. I accept the trials of this sad exile to delight you and to console your heart. But change all my works into love, O my spouse, my beloved Savior. It's your love, Jesus, that I crave. It's your love that has to transform me. Put in my heart your consuming flame, and I'll be able to bless you and love you. Yes, I'll be able to love you and bless you as they do in heaven. I'll love you with that very love with which you have loved me. Jesus, eternal word, divine Savior, at the end of my life, come get me without the shadow of delay. Show me your infinite tenderness and the sweetness of your divine gaze. With love, oh, may your voice call me, saying, Come, all is forgiven. Come, rest on my heart, my faithful spouse. You have greatly loved me. In Amen. the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us on Carmelite Conversations. A program note next week, it looks as though, Francis, we're probably going to do, at the suggestion of one of our listeners, uh, a quick review of some of the Carmelite destinations, if you will, shrines and uh, uh, cathedrals and places you can visit in Carmel. And we're also going to talk about the elements of making a Carmelite retreat. What's unique about a Carmelite retreat? So please join us for that next week. Until then, God bless. Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.